Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Today is episode 52 of the podcast, and I get the opportunity to sit down with pastor, author, and speaker Daniel M. Daniel and I dive into his latest book, all about the topic of personal identity and the lies that we tell ourselves. Oh my gosh, did this rock my world. I'm telling you that I, I at one point in the conversation, I felt like Daniel and I were having a personal counseling session right here in the middle of our dialogue. We talk about um, the lies and how it's all been impacted by freedom and flexibility and the gig economy and how it all kind of weaves together in this idea of who we are and how we come to that conclusion. Um, I hope that it rocks your world like it rocks mine because it really caused me to think. And if it does, if you enjoyed the conversation, you can please share this episode with a friend, uh, subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a comment wherever you can, and as always, give us a rating and review. We greatly appreciate the opportunity to serve you through this platform. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel M. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I am here today with Daniel M., who is pastor, author, and speaker. Daniel, how are you, sir? Welcome to the podcast. Man, it's great to be with you, Tony. And Daniel has recently written a book uh, about identity, and it's an incredible book um, all about the lies that we tell ourselves. And so I, I want to jump right in. Why is this uh, the right season? Or, or kind of how did, you, how did you come to the conclusion that this was the book that you've needed to write? Yeah, I, I didn't really ever set out to write an, a book on identity. Obviously, identity is a huge piece to, <laughs> I mean, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's, we all base our identity off of something. So it really wasn't what catalyzed this book in the first place. What catalyzed it was the notion of the gig economy and the, the observation that all of a sudden work was changing and how people approached work was changing. And, and all of a sudden I was like, why, why does everyone have a side hustle? What, why do I have multiple side hustles? And, <laughs> and how is this a, an okay thing? And, and I mean, I'd even talk to some of my, and I mean, every generation does it. Sure. And there's obviously certain generations that are maybe more that, that are more prone or not even prone open to it than others. Yet it was just this notion of what, what is happening. And I started digging into the research in US and Canada, in Australia and the UK, basically anywhere I could find uh, year over year research on this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is, it's like over 35% of the work, workforce in all of these countries are a part of the gig economy, it, which means they basically are self-employed on a part-time or a full-time basis, getting paid for their time, skills, possessions, or expertise. Like that's, that's like 50 something million Americans. Wow. Now, what's yeah. the danger in that? Like, I, I mean, cause, cause yeah. I've heard, you know, like I think books often come out in seasons. Like there's mm. uh, there lately that feels like there's been a really big push to like put down the hustle. And yes, and yes. So there seems to be almost a pushback against the, the, the gig economy, but what, what's the, what's the danger in having that many people doing something, I'm going to use air quotes, extra, because it never feels like extra, does it? No, no, it doesn't. It's the, the danger is the gig economy promises you a life of freedom and flexibility. 
right? It's that the core lie is a life of control. So what the gig economy is basically doing to us, how it's so changed the nature of work, of life, of relationships, is it's it's essentially saying, hey, oh, you want to go on that vacation that your your friends just went on or, or that they're posting Instagram shots on? Well, the only reason you're not going is because you're not hustling enough. The only reason you're not there is because you don't have that. Why are you on social media anyway? Why are you binge watching Netflix or Disney <laughs> Plus? Like, why are you wasting your time? Go make money. Do you have a car? Go drive for Uber. Do you do this? Then go do, do you have any sort of other skills that you can then get money and get paid off of? Then do that, right? Yes, you have your full-time job, but there's so much discretionary time, right? So you see what the gig economy is now whispering into our ears before, all right. What do you, what do you, if you have a full-time job and before the gig economy and before apps and devices and all that stuff, what do you do if you needed another job? Worked at the grocery store? Worked at a coffee shop? Worked in the evening? Did the graveyard shift? I mean, you couldn't work two jobs at the same time for a, a, an employer. I mean, that'd be so difficult. Yet now, with or without an app, it's so easy. And that's, I mean, obviously we've talked about Uber and, you know, you got, you know, rent out your house. I have a friend who would, every time he goes on a vacation, he Airbnbs his house. <laughs> so that he can, and that pays for his Airbnb that he's, where he's going. And so he doesn't have to go into his savings. He Airbnbs his house so that he can go Airbnb another house. Yeah. And so all of this kind of di- dives into this idea about identity and, um, you know, you throughout your writing, you talk about these different lies that we tell mm-hmm. ourselves. And I, I love the way you set it up because the book really caught my attention when I first saw the title. It's, it's you are what you do yeah. and um, other lies we tell ourselves. And I was like, oh, but you know, of course the, the other lies we tell ourselves in print is very small. So I was like, you are what you do. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the lies that, that you've seen in your research as you look at this uh, you look at this new reality of the world that we're living in. Yeah, yeah. So the the important thing to understand is that the gig economy promises a life of freedom and flexibility Mm. and control, right? So if that is the core promise and ultimately a lie because you never get in, there's never enough freedom and there's never enough flexibility and control in and through all this. What, what's interesting is as I continue to dig into that lie and I was like, well, how does that affect us? The seven lies that I talk about in the book actually were derivatives of this core lie of freedom and flexibility. They were kind of spidered out from this. So the lie, you are what you do, you are what you experience, you are who you know, what you know, what you own, who you raise in your past. Each of these seven lies actually are tied together because they each, in a sense, if you believe them, it's your path to freedom and flexibility. It's your path to freedom and flexibility by, and a life of control by identifying yourselves in this way. And what, what really ties them all together is the fact that the gig economy has risen them all to the surface because it's saying, hey, freedom and flexibility, guys. Freedom and fle- fle- flexibility. How? Well, just live a life going from this experience to another experience and you're going to get freedom and flexibility or you are what you know. You want freedom and flexibility? Go get that extra degree. Go do that. And then you're going to get this job and then you're going to have freedom and flexibility or you are what you want. If you get that Tesla, as long as you get that Tesla, <laughs> then you are truly going to be free. Have you been talking to my 14 year old? Yeah. <laughs> from the chains of oil and you know, you see what happened, like all of these yeah. really they, they falsely promise a life of freedom and flexibility 
so it's in a sense pick your poison <laughs> is, is essentially what's happening when when you're writing a book about freedom and flexibility and and, and so I, I read these and i immediately found myself squirming a little bit mm. uh-huh. because it, you know there are some things that very that resonate you know you are who you know and you are what you experience, right? And in the church world, there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. Um, well, I, I'm curious, as you wrote this, how, how did you change spiritually? Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. a big question. <laughs> it's, it's, a re- it's a really good question, Tony. Thanks. So I've believed all seven of these lies. And if I were to say that I don't believe any of them, it's I'd, I'd be fooling myself and I'd be fooling all of you. It'd be a big fat liar. So it, it really, it really was this awareness because as I wrote in the book, I, I really, I didn't want to make it there. There's obviously the research side of things and there's story side of things, but I really had to first think to myself, okay, how have I believed this? How have I fallen into this and how have others as well? And, and then, cause that's really that path. How, how do you, how do you get out of the belief of these lies? So what's interesting is in, in at the, you know, the first 70% of every chapter is here's the lie. Here's why we believe the lie. Here's why it's everywhere. Here's why it doesn't pay to build our lives off of that. And then, then the last 20 to 30% is okay. What is the other way? Right. What is the other way, which is the gospel really? I mean, sure. Honestly, Tony, I was on this one podcast. It was like this radio slash podcast and the guy wasn't Christian and he was interviewing me about the book. And at the end he was like, okay, Daniel, so what's the truth on the other side? What's the truth on the other side? And I was like, it's Jesus. And he's like, what do you mean? And I knew the guy wasn't Christian. And I was like, well, it's, it's, it's Jesus because it's only through Jesus that we can find true freedom and flexibility. Every, every one of these lies, you follow it all the way to the end. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't get you what you want. It's only through Jesus. And he's like, oh yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Jesus, Buddha. I mean, it's all, it's all the same. Just, yeah, just find your purpose, find your, and I was like, uh, no, actually it's not the same. <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking? <laughs> I don't know if he's cut that whole part out, but <laughs> he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, with all these other religions, it's do, 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 do. And you might become mm. with Jesus. It's I have done. <laughs> so I have done, I have come off the mountain. I have finished. You are not what you do. You're not any of these things. You are who I say you are, you are what I have done for you, right? There's a complete shift and the guy was speechless. So I'm pretty sure he cut that all out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love it. And yet I, I think, um, and I believe it. Mm. And I still live in the tension of like, when somebody asks you what you do. So if I were to say, hey, Daniel, what do you do? Yeah. How do you answer? I, I don't <laughs> I, I don't say I'm a child of God. Right. Because nobody wants to say that ever. No. And if you're a Christian, please don't say that. Yes. And then you start saying, I am a child right. of God. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's it's so funny. And and I don't know, Tony, are you into the Enneagram? Oh yeah. I'm yeah. an eight. You're an eight. Okay, I'm a three. Okay. Okay. Is your wing what's your wing? Seven. Okay, yeah. I totally could have <laughs> totally could have guessed. Once you said eight, I was like, Oh, you're you're totally a seven wing. Yeah. I'm a am I'm a four. Uh, I'm a three wing four. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And my wife is a three wing two. 
Which is why for fun, we podcast. No, listen, your podcast is incredible. I just listened to that episode about you guys putting down your phones and, yes. uh, with children. And it's a great episode, the in-between podcast. Uh, we'll link oh, to it in the show you. notes, but it's, uh, it gave me a little bit of hives. <laughs> but it, I know it's, it's, yeah, once it kind of gets, yeah, because <laughs> we're all guilty of it. So, so having said that, I mean, it's, it's interesting for a three-wing Four. And, and this was what's really interesting because my wife is the one who's full on into the Enneagram. I mean, you should see the number of Enneagram books that we have mm. in our house. Like she is studying it in depth and she's a social worker counselor. So I mean, it's fully up her alley for me. I'm a strengths finder coach. So I've been, I mean, been doing this for over 10 years. Oh, I love the strengths finder. Strength yeah. finder. So, it's, so it's really interesting. And this is, this is really funny being a strengths finder coach and being fully into that. And in the last few years, people are talking about Enneagram and all that stuff. And it's obviously an ancient idea. I was like, man, where have I heard of this? I, I think I've, I think I've done something on this. And then I remembered back when I was doing my master's at Fuller, we, we worked through it. We read a book on it and we taught, we had a class where we were talking about, it. and I think I, 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 I go, I'm, I'm thinking back to that. And I was like, I think I hated that. <laughs> and, and, and I read through the book and I read through it and I was like, this is the worst. This is weaknesses. This is, I don't want to focus on weaknesses. I want to focus on strengths because I'm a strengths finder guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a measure of immaturity because I was like, I don't want to focus on all that. But as I've dug into the Enneagram, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so huge because it gets to your core motivations. So yeah. having said all that, when I, after I wrote the book, I was like, wait a second, why is the title you are what you do? Because that's the core lie of threes. <laughs> and then I started looking at all the other lies. And I was like, oh my goodness, you are what you experience. That's probably sevens. Right. You are uh, what you know. That's probably sixes. You are what you own. That's probably eights. You are, you know, and it's just, it kind of goes through. And I'm like, oh, it's just, there's this extra layer of my goodness. That's why I believe this wow. lie. I believe this lie, you are what you do the most because I'm a three <laughs> and I base my identity on what I achieve and what I do. And when I came back from Korea and lost my job and lost everything, I realized now why I was in such a depression because I couldn't answer, what do you do? I couldn't answer that question. Hmm. Wow, that, that really just uh, kind of blew my mind there a little bit. So, <laughs> but, but I really like it. I really like yeah. well, and, and the truth is, is if you've studied the Enneagram, if you've read anything about it, then um, there's a lot of debate about whether or not you're, you're born that way or mm. if something happened and kind of made you that way and, and childhood trauma or childhood experiences, not even trauma related. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how are you fighting the lie and leaning into Jesus on an everyday basis. Get super practical because there's somebody who's listening right now who's like, mm. I'm never going to be able to get past the lie because I know it can feel overwhelming. Yes, yes. So I, 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 I hang on to this one phrase, one of my favorite quotes from Richard Foster. He said, spiritual formation is like sleeping. You can't cause yourself to sleep but you can create the conditions in which it'll come. Oh, say that one more time, please. That's so Spir good. Yeah, spiritual formation mm. is like sleeping. You can't cause yourself to sleep, 
but you can create the conditions in which it'll come. And I mean, obviously it's a little bit of a paraphrase, right? But when I think about these lies, honestly, I see it in the same way. I cannot choose to stop believing. This is not cognitive therapy. I cannot change my behavior to stop believing this or living according to the lies. This is behavioral psychology, right? I cannot on my own accord or with my, you know, with mindfulness or whatever meditation or whatever else the world tries to say, I can't actively not believe this just by trying harder, trying harder. It's ultimately only the Holy Spirit that can break us from the chains of these lies and believing these lies. Now, now what does that mean? Well, goes back to that quote. I can't create, I can't cause myself to sleep, but I can create the conditions in which it'll come. So I can't cause myself to completely change, but I can create the conditions in which it'll come. So let's say the core lie, you are what you do, right? There's a sense of, okay, I know that I believe it. I've seen it. So when I'm talking to other people, I need to make sure that I am, I need to, so awareness is key, right? Awareness is key as to how I've believed it. So that's why when I'm talking to people, I'm not first outright saying, Hey, my name is Daniel and I'm a, or, and I have, and I've accomplished and I have, and all the ways that I would love to feed my ego and go down the three lists. I don't start there. I don't start there because I know, right. And I, and I try to ask them what they do. And I try to talk about that. And I try to kind of deflect or, and, and, and even if they're like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I'm a pastor. Right. I don't talk about the size of the church or where, or, and, you know, and I try to resist that. Um, as, as much as I can. Now, obviously, I, I'm not immune to it because if I'm talking to a New York Times bestselling author, I'm like, right. well, I'm an author too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a New York Times bestselling author. I'm an author too. Right? And that's the interesting thing because the more you know about yourself, I realize as a three that my, my, my chains is I'll put on a mask and it's really easy for me to put on masks. Hmm. And what, which also means it's very easy for me to relate with people because I see what we have in common. And this is, this, this goes so deep and it's, I'm very unaware. I, I don't try, but what happens is I, what's our common ground? Oh, that's our common ground. Okay. I'm going to build everything off of that. And I'm not saying I'm not lying about myself, but I'm choosing to emphasize a shared narrative around what we have in common. And that's, I'm like, why don't, so why did I say it that way there? And why did I say it that way here? And, and it's fascinating. The more you realize and understand about yourself, how it's kind of at a subconscious, at an unconscious level, how it's driving you. So first and foremost, it's awareness and obviously submitting it to God so that the Holy Spirit can do the ultimate work in changing us. Yeah. So I, I, I really like that idea about creating conditions for the Holy Spirit to work. Um, mm-hmm. Are, are there daily practices that you do with your family to help create that or, or um, in your own practical way that you follow Jesus? Is there yeah. a rhythm to create those conditions? Because now, especially you see people talking about creating conditions to fall asleep, right? So mm, yeah. sleep mask, the calm app, the yeah. weighted blankets, all of the things. Um, what kind of conditions do you do to create that moment for the Holy Spirit to, to give you that divine nudge? Yeah. Yeah. Now, before I wrote No Silver Bullets, my previous one, it was, I didn't really have that. I didn't really know. I didn't really have a paradigm 
this kind of paradigm to to think through it. But but when I was doing the um, working with the research during No Silver Bullets, and here's the thing. <laughs> okay, can I just please just yeah, do it? What I just said right now was me catching myself to per portray things accurately, right? Because I could have easily said when I was doing the research, right? When I was doing the research. Mm. Now, when I did no, when I wrote No Silver Bullets, Lifeway Research did the research. I dug into it and worked with them to figure out, okay, what does this mean to translate it for the church? But I did not do the research. So I, and I, I've caught myself in previous times saying, oh, when I did the research, when I was doing this one, I was like, no, that's actually, that's actually false. <laughs> I didn't do the research, but you see how it's for right. me, it's so easy. And I think that's the whole, you are what you do in all these lies. It's so easy. Well, and the truth is that's these- an acceptable lie. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, you, I mean, like, I, I really appreciate your vulnerability because, mm. th- well, first of all, there's no way. There's no way that I'm going to call you on it in the middle yeah. of, a, uh, of an interview, right? Like, yeah. it's not like someone's going to be like, no, yeah. you know, like <laughs> no one from Lifeway Research is going to publicly at least say something. I'm sure they, no, have, no. you know, they're all going to be like, oh, sure. He, he did the research. We know what really happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's the awareness, right? That's the self-awareness <laughs> piece that's so important. So going back to your question, when I was working with the research, when I was unpacking the research with the team and, and we discovered that the, the, there's, there are inputs, there are, there are these inputs that will result in greater outputs and spiritual maturity, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are these things where kind of like the 80-20 rule where 20% of the things that you do create 80% of the results, the Pareto principle, this, this notion here in, in the research, it, it really, it, it was there. It hit us in the face where reading the Bible, the more frequently someone read the Bible, the more all aspects of their spiritual maturity group, like in, in every respect, I'm not, I'm not talking about studying right. the Bible or memorizing the Bible or any of that. It was just simply matter of reading the Bible. The more frequently someone read the Bible, the more they obeyed God and denied self, the more they shared their faith, the more they connected with others, the more they grew in transparency, the more every aspect of spiritual maturity went up into the right, the more frequently someone read the Bible. It's crazy. So let me, let me ask you this, because okay. I'm feeling like uh, we're we're just being really vulnerable here. So yeah. I, I read the Bible every day yeah. and um, I have a streak in the version app. <laughs> yeah. And I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I, I'm really struggling with if I should break the streak on purpose. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm really proud of it. Mm. And like, I, it, it's a practice that's taken me a really long time to get to. And I really valuable the practice word of God. But man, is it hard for me not to show people the streak or yeah. the number or like, I'm like, uh, I, I have a lot of, con- I'm surprised at how much conflict I have over this stupid number. Yeah. Like I, any, 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 th- any thoughts, pastor? Break it. Break it. <laughs> break it. Break it. Go get a paper Bible for a week and just completely break it. Oh man, it makes me want to sweat. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, here's, here's the interesting thing, right? So for those of your listeners who, who are like kind of, they, their, ex, their next level, they understand research stuff. Mm. Um, what this isn't, it's not causation. 
it's correlation. So there's a high relation between those, the more frequently you read the Bible, the more all these other things happen, but it doesn't mean it automatically happens. It's not caused, it's not causation. Oh. There's just a, there's a strong relationship in the research, a very strong relationship between those who read their Bible on a regular basis, more frequently and all aspects of growing. So what that basically means is if everyone in, everyone listening in just starts reading their Bible every single day, it doesn't mean that all aspects of spiritual maturity are going to go up into the right, but it's highly likely that it will, uh, but it doesn't mean that it will. There, as it's, evidenced it's, it's by me holding on to my yeah. street. <laughs> so this is a, okay. So here's the funny thing, right? So in the book, there's this notion of destination and direction and, and how we measure maturity. So yeah. on the one hand, there's this maturity is, do you measure how mature you are based on the direction you're pointed to? Or do you measure your maturity based off of how far you are along, how long your streak is, right? Do you measure your maturity? It's the, the proximity to the destination. So I'm not talking about you, no, Danny. It's fine. You can tell. Listen, we're here for me, Daniel. I don't know okay, if you know this yeah. or not. Like, I started a podcast so I could work out my own stuff. And yeah, yeah, who cares I, about I, all the other people listening? Yeah. <laughs> so when we compare those two, right, just as an example, think in the scriptures, a Pharisee versus a Samaritan woman at the well. Mm, okay, good. very different context. The Pharisees, as a kid, they were, getting, they were you know, memorizing the Torah, memorizing the Pentateuch, memorizing, you know, learning how to be, a, you know, following the way of the, the, the rabbi, the Pharisee, kind of going step by step by step, growing, if this is God here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, going closer to God in regards to proximity of how much they knew about God. And then it was probably when they were a preteen where everything became cynical and sure. <laughs> after that. And then, and then they turned around, right? And they kept on going closer to God in regards to how much they knew about him and studied him, but their direction was completely pointed the other way. And yeah, they knew, and I love, this is J.I. Packer paraphrase. They knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God, hmm. right? They, didn't, they knew a lot about him, but they didn't know him. So by the point in time where we read about the Pharisees in the scriptures, oh yeah, they know a lot about God. They know a lot about the ways of God, but do they know God or not? Well, they didn't see Jesus. Well, a lot of them, most of them didn't see Jesus, God in flesh. Yeah. So that's an it, interesting thing to think about versus a Samaritan woman who is probably, if, if God's here, I mean, she was like way out there, pointed the other way, meets Jesus, has an experience with Jesus, completely turns around, gives her life, follows, you know, there's this notion, right? There's this notion in the story where it's like, okay, she is now completely flipped and she's pointing toward Christ. Who would you rather have more of in your church? Yeah, the Samaritan woman, any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't know a lot about God, but man, have they experienced God? Well, and, do and, they know? And, then, and then the wake of the Samaritan woman is so much greater than the wake of the Pharisees. Yes, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to the spiritual formation question, there's this notion where, okay, how do I create the conditions in which I'm not going to believe these lies? How am I going to create the conditions in which I'm growing spiritually? Well. Okay, first and foremost, I got to create the conditions in which it'll come. So I need to read the word. Hmm. I need to read the word. Another thing that came out in the research was I need to be in community, right? I need to be, in, I need to worship regularly, right? So there's these, there are these principles and, and the research in the book that really focused on, okay, here, here are these aspects, here are these practices, these, in, and that's why I call them inputs, right? right? There are these inputs you can do, things you can control, levers you can pull 
that can produce the outputs, but it's not a cause. It's not automatic because what's in the middle is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. First Corinthians three, right? Paul and Apollos, I planted, you watered, but God's the one who caused the growth. And it's the same thing here. We can plant, we can water, we can create the conditions, but it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that'll change our hearts. So what do you do if you feel like that you've created the conditions, but you're not growing? Mm. Um, because I, I think for a lot of us, it's, it's hard to see, well, it's, it's hard to see how much the flowers grown in a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's an exercise in futility to plant a garden of vegetables and just look yeah. <laughs> you know, so, five times, you know, every single day, even looking every single day is an exercise of futility. Right. So, but what do you, but you do actually every day have to do something once you plant that garden, you have to weed it. So is it, is it just about faithfulness over an extended period of time? Is there, is there a magical moment in time um, from the research that says, Hey, if you have studied the Bible and you've done, you've created these conditions every day for a year, we haven't not yet seen the Holy spirit act. No, no. No, there isn't. And I'm grateful to God that there isn't and, there's, and that there's no way to measure that. I'm, yes, grateful to God for that because I think some of us would obsess over it and we'd yeah. compare. We'd compare. I love what Eugene Peterson says, right? He says, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. A long obedience in the same direction. So just going back to that imagery, it really is, okay, I'm going to plant those carrots and I'm not going to see anything, but I got a weed. I got to water, I got to protect, make sure, you know, squirrels or whatever doesn't get to see, you know, I got to protect, I got to do all that. And then, yeah, all of a sudden we might see something, but the moment I see some fruit, it's not a fruit, but you know, the top of the carrot, I can't pull it out. Mm. Right. I mean, that's, it's going to be image and then it's done. Like you can't plant it back in the garden. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, once you pull it, it's over, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to spiritual growth, there is a sense of growing deeper, rooted deeper. So let's compare Saul and David, for example, King Saul and King David. The biggest difference, obviously David is called a man after God's heart, but a, the, one of the biggest difference, because they both royally messed up. Sure. But the biggest difference is David had an extended period of time in the desert. He had an extended period of time in the desert before he was king. Yes, he was anointed and then he was there, but extended period of time where in the desert, he went deeper going into the vegetable, yeah. right? Uh, he, he, he grew deeper and he grew, his prayer life was formed in through the trial of, man, I'm anointed, I'm king, right? Gene Edwards, A Tale of Three Kings, Anyone struggling with authority or being in charge, but not being in charge and waiting, any of that kind of stuff. Gene Edwards, The Tale of Three Kings. Is all right, like, we'll lead to it. I haven't, I haven't read it, so I should, oh, maybe I should check it out. Yeah, all number twos, all number twos. And even number ones who are fighting with their elders or their deacon board or whoever, <laughs> right? Because uh, read A Tale of Three Kings. It's fascinating. But going back to that illustration, he grew deeper. Mm. you see that that's not just david and saul didn't have that right i mean guy was like doing his own thing all of a sudden the israelites are, we need a king we need a king and the guy's hiding and it's like oh he looks like a king let's make him the king all right and and where's the where was the rootedness where is the depth of that jesus baptized 40 days in the desert paul after the road to damascus three years in hiding 
right? I mean, it's just over and over and over again, we see this period of the growing deeper, the rootedness that, um, yeah. So we got to create the conditions in which sleep will come, in which spiritual growth will happen, reading the word, worshiping, being in community and that such, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that'll grow us in his timing. And so, you know, we, we currently live, as we record this, we live in a, a COVID-19 coronavirus quarantined mm. kind of world. And so, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about that as it relates yeah. to our, our spiritual conditions, because, um, you know, if we're going to play this garden metaphor out, it feels like a tornado just came through and uprooted the whole garden. And so, yes. uh, so your thoughts on, on how do we, how do we, uh, cause you know, we're obviously worshiping together and being in community now feels awkward and, mm. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it before we started recording as pastors, you know, we're wrestling with what that means. W- what's the, what's the word to the people about, um, you know, staying true to the conditions when in the midst of the storm? Yeah. The, the phrase that I'm holding on to, uh, and that I'm helping lead our church with our team through in the moment is let's look to Jesus and be the church. Mm. Let's look to Jesus and be the church. Let's not, yes, and obviously there's strategies and all that stuff you can build off of that. But what does it look like in this moment for us each individually to take our eyes off of the news, to take our, and yes, we got to be aware, we got to know what's happening, but take our eyes off of ourselves ultimately and look to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, there's a very there's a very big difference because we have peripheral vision. There's a very big difference between looking ahead or looking at ourselves and trying to see and look around and try to look to Christ versus looking to Jesus. And then in our peripheral, we see what else is happening, right? There's a very big difference there. So our, is our focus. And that's the whole thing. If you're running on a street and you know, you're, what are you looking at? Cause whatever you're looking at, whatever you're pointed toward is where you're going to end up. So, how do we look to Jesus in this moment and encourage our church and in all the things that we post, you know, don't stop posting, you know, things about toilet paper and stop posting (laughs) things about, you know, all the dumb stuff that we do, which was funny at the beginning, but isn't anymore. (laughs) Um, Right. So, so yeah, let's look to Jesus. Let's encourage our church to look to Jesus and then let's rise up and be the church. Let's live out the one in others. Right. So I think when it comes to that, it's like, how do we create this sense where we are discipling and we are being discipled where everyone, everyone, we are discipling others and we are also being discipled because we need that. Right. Yes. There's this notion of, yeah, we got to preach the gospel to ourselves, but yeah, we got to preach the gospel to one another. And we got to hear other people preach the gospel to us because in the midst of chaos, it's so easy to take our eyes off of Christ. And it's so easy in the midst of the layoffs and everything else that's going to be coming and the recession, the economy, all the impacts, even I'm Canadian and our prime minister Trudeau, as of this, as of the time of the recording, right? He was like, Oh, we're going to do this national $81 billion package. And you know, you hear all these things immediately. My thought was like, you're going to print money. We don't have $81 billion. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. Isn't this how inflation works? Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, okay. We're paying for this one way or another. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, actually, everyone's doing that in the entire world. And I'm like, what? Yes. Okay. Sounds great. We're going to get through this. We need this. But what is this going to look like in three years' time? 
how, how are we ever going to pay this back? Who are we paying it back to? <laughs> it's, just like, it's just, it's, and it's so easy, right? Tony, it's so easy in the midst of all that to just go to worry, go to worry. Right. And, and then Jesus says, John 14, 27, peace. I leave with you. My peace. I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Hmm. Right. Or we read in the Psalms, where does my, where, you know, where, where do I look to? I, I look to the Lord, yeah. right. My helper, my strength. I mean, how do we encourage one another? Cause pastors, it's not just pastors are doing this. Others, pastors need to be encouraged by this from one another, from our church too. Yeah. So let, let me ask you, this is a little personal, so feel free to decline yeah. to answer if you want. You, you've had, uh, um, you've had a rough month because mm-hmm. you're from like, you just left Nashville not too long ago. Yeah. yeah. And we watched what happened to the tornadoes in, yeah. in Nashville. And uh, I think I saw a post from you about the heartbreak there and uh, mm-hmm. just kind of the grieving. And then, you know, pastors want their communities in worship. So, so like, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of pastors who've been through like really hard times with tornadoes and then, really hard times now with the virus. And in, in Ohio, we had some mass shootings and tornadoes. And so it's, yeah. it's been like, so one of the questions I want to ask you is, is how are you dealing with the trauma as a leader? Yeah. Yeah. And then my dad is going through chemotherapy right now. <sighs> and, uh, you know, it's congregants, all her congregants who are going through all that stuff and we can't see him anymore. It's, even we can't even go visit anyone in the hospital anymore. It's just, and I did funerals, a funeral yesterday for yeah, four you, people, yeah. four people. I, I mean, I it was know. The, and, and I know their whole family, like there's lots of them. And like 94 year old guy, like they're not mm. going to wait to, to celebrate his life. And so we, we streamed it on YouTube. It was the oh. weirdest thing. So yeah. how, how, and, how and weddings. And, oh, I just had a wedding cancel. Yeah. Yeah. How so personally, what am I doing? I'm trying to figure it out moment by moment, starting my days off in the word, starting my days off in the word, praying, journaling, praying with my team, yet also making plans to try to be encouraging. Now, here's the, here's the other thing about the Enneagram. I'm a three, so I'm future oriented. Mm. So for me, I know, and I know some people are focusing in on the past and others are focusing in very much on the present. For me as a three, I, my default is future. And, if I, and, and that's a huge part of self-awareness. So my default is future. So my default is, okay, I've grieved. Okay, we got it. Okay, now we got to make plans to move forward. And threes can make great leaders because you're moving, trying to move sure. things forward. But if I'm not careful, I can totally miss what's happening now and not be present to what is happening now. The danger also is that my wife is a three as well. <laughs> no. <laughs> so for your, your our whole kids, family's down the road and turn right. <laughs> I know. So, so yeah, I mean, we're thinking that, right? So Christina and I were, as we're parenting, it's okay. We don't know what our kids' numbers are. I mean, they're too young anyway. It's... How, how can we be present to them? How can, we, how can I be present to my staff? How can I be present to our church, but not give so much to be present to others and plan and all that stuff that I neglect our Sabbath, that I neglect our time. So that is honestly the thing I'm trying to work out because Mondays were our Sabbath. Mondays were our Sabbath. Now we record on Saturday night. 
because yeah. we have Saturday night and we got Sunday services and now we're recording once and going to stream that, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And it's sure. like, okay, well, and man, I, I have to be in the office on Monday now. I, I can't. Okay. So Sunday's my day off now. Cause our teams are working, you know, they're the ones that are going to do the chatting and sure, on our sure. live stream and, and doing all that stuff. So it's like, okay, well, what does that look like? Mondays were Sabbath with Christina and I, because our kids were all at school. Well, school's canceled here until September. Whoa. Yeah. They so, went to straight September. Yeah, they did. Completely can't because the, wow. our, our, the chief medical officer in Alberta were, was like, closing it for one month is not going to do anything. If we're going to close, we got to close all the way through. So, because community transmission is so dangerous. Right. That's where, I mean, right. if you, the Reuters article, I don't know if you've read it in South Korea about mm. patient third, case 31. It is the most fascinating article how this one case, the 31st person who got coronavirus in Korea, basically spread it to thousands and thousands of people. Wow. Because they went to that church, which is a cult in case listeners didn't know um because it it was called a christian church is actually a cult so she went to there spread it there went to a buffet went to a hospital went to and it was this one person via community transmission who spread it to thousands of people right so when we think about it that way it's literally for us we don't have sabbath like monday mornings were our date time Dropped the kids off at school, had our date connected, you know, when we were exploring the city, doing different restaurants and coffee shops, restaurants are all shut down, right? Coffee shops shut. I mean, it's, we don't have, (laughs) so what does that rhythm look like? What is it? So we're trying to figure that out to say, okay, yes, with my leadership, with my position and all that I do, yeah, I got to work six days, but how can we fully be present on that Mm. Sabbath and recognize that? Yeah. I can't fix it. Jesus can. And I got to still take that day off and, and rest in him. I love that. And I think it's, I think it's probably important to understand too, that, that those rhythms will change multiple yeah. times before yeah. this is all said and done. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, and, and that's probably where the self-awareness is a real gift because when you're aware of yourself, then you can change in any given situation mm-hmm. because you understand what you're bringing to the table, regardless of what the table looks like. Yeah, I think it is is probably wise. So, Daniel, any closing thoughts on um, on how people can lean into what real freedom looks like, or or put you know identify maybe the lie that they're holding on to the tightest? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, on on the on the first note, bringing it back to my newest book, there's so here's my here's my prayer. Right when I wrote the book. I wrote it as a prayer that God would bring those who are far from him close to him. Mm. That, that was honestly every chapter, every single word I wrote, that was my prayer. And that's why every chapter, first 70% is no Bible. It's literally, hey, here's what the lie is. Here's how we believe it. And here's why it doesn't actually live and you know, give, give you the life that you are wanting. And then at the end of each chapter, and it grows in each chapter. It's okay, but this is the truth on the other side, right? And pointing people to the gospel, pointing people to Jesus. So that was my prayer, right? That as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it was said, but I say to you, 
right? And, and it's, it's this notion, right, where it's like, hey, you've heard it was said you are what you do, but actually you're a child of God. Yeah. You've heard it was said you are what you experience, but actually you're a new creation. You've heard it was said that you are who you know, but actually I tell you, you are known by our loving Savior Jesus, right? So with each of these lies, there's truth on the other side. And ultimately it's, you are not your past. You're not any of these lies. God will bring about beauty from the ashes. You are free from all condemnation. You are what Jesus has done for you. So how do we rest in that? Amen. So just want to give that encouragement to your listeners and, and, and for them to think about it from that perspective of, hey, this is, a, this is actually, instead of seeing the gig economy as a challenge uh, or not even a cha- you know, as something to be fearful of, think of it as an opportunity. This is now a fresh way for you to proclaim the truth of Christ and how Christ will lead you to freedom and flexibility. So that's, that's what I've tried to do through the book and yeah. is, is still my prayer that God would set people free and in, in through it. I love that. Okay. So if people want to find you on the interwebs, where's the best place to, to find you? Yeah. Yeah. Online uh, on the interwebs, it's danielm.com, just my okay. name.com. On all the social media platforms, it's Daniel Sangi. So Sangi is my Korean name. Uh, I think people are like, "What is that? What is that? What is that?" Anyway, because well, there's I couldn't find Daniel M. <laughs> what ten years ago or something when everything right. was hitting. So Daniel Sangi, S A N G I, is uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. I'd love to connect with you. Great. Well, and we'll link to all that in the show notes. All right. The last question I always love to ask people is uh, is all about giving yourself one piece of advice. So if, if you could go back in time and, and I'm going to, I'm going to take you back to when you first decided to wrestle with the call to being a pastor. Mm. So you're going back, uh, you, you're wrestling with the call to become a pastor. If you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? You're not that important. You're not going to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> Stop believing your savior. Jesus is the savior. You are his child. So just follow him and give him all the credit and glory. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. Mm. Um, I know that this conversation is going to help a lot of people out there. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. I mean, come on. Am I right or what? I am so thankful for Daniel's openness, his vulnerability. I especially love the way that he dove into the idea of the gig economy. And I never thought about the gig economy as being a, uh, a possible barrier to my own identity. So when I think about flexibility and freedom that comes with Christ, as opposed to the gig economy, that'll preach every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I hope you loved this conversation. I hope it helped you. I hope it blessed you. And uh, do me a favor, go follow Daniel all over the place on social media. He's great to watch with his kids. His podcast is wonderful. He loves to put things in his smoker, and that's always fun to watch too. Uh, so go follow Daniel. He's He really is a great guy, practices what he preaches. And as always, if you could leave us a rate, review, share the podcast with a friend, uh, it would be so appreciated. Thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you uh, on this platform. Thanks for listening. And I can't wait to talk to you guys real soon.